This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All righty then. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode number 103 of the Moranalytics podcast. Today is Tuesday, March 19th. 2019. Thank you as always for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that. Also rate and review. I can't tell you enough how much doing that helps the show tremendously. It really, truly does. So if you go ahead and do that, I really would appreciate it. Got two good interviews for you on the show today. I'll be joined by former Buffalo Bills guard, Craig Urbic. Craig played nine seasons in the NFL, including six with the Buffalo Bills. Going to have a nice chat with him about growing up, being born in Chicago, growing up in Wisconsin, playing high school football, why he decided to go to Wisconsin for college, his journey to the NFL, what that process was like, having one miserable year as a rookie in Pittsburgh before getting waived and claimed by Buffalo, going on to have some very good years with those Chan Gailey offenses with the Bills. Talk to him about all that stuff, what his time in Buffalo meant to him, some of his favorite teammates and moments, lots of stuff to get to know about Craig Orbick, who's a guy who Bills fans don't hear much from, but to me, he was always one of those solid, low-key guys that really were an asset to the team. Of course, during that time, the Bills as a team struggled badly, but guys like Craig, he was one of those players that did his job and did it well, did it quietly. And I think fans really learn to appreciate players like him. So I'm sure a lot of fans out there want to hear from him. I got that for you. That'll be coming up in just a few. Right after my chat with Craig, I got my good friend Tone Pucks on for another installment of Pat with Pucks. Last week on the podcast, I had Joe Marino on from the Draft Network. He did an outstanding job of breaking down each individual Buffalo Bills signing and what that player's role should be with the team. Today, I'm Pat with Pucks. I got Tone talking about what he thinks the entirety of the Buffalo Bills free agency period means to this team. How much did they improve? How much better will the offensive line be? How much help did they get for Josh Allen at wide receiver and tight end? So we talk about the whole, not just one specific player, but as a whole, how much has free agency helped? Of course, free agency is not done. It is still ongoing. They may add one or two more players, but for the most part, the meat and potatoes of free agency is done. We talk about the team and where they stand right now because of it. Then we turn our attention to the draft. And listen, I'm not going to tease you with any real spoiler here. 
just to try to get you to listen for the next 45 minutes. Tone and I both very, very clearly agree that as things stand right now anyway, the Buffalo Bills are absolutely going to take a defensive tackle with the ninth pick. Replacing Kyle Williams, that has to be priority number one. Ed Oliver, if he's on the board at nine, lock that up right now. Lock it up. Lots of draft experts out there doing their mock drafts. They're going to mix it up, keep you on your toes, cover all their bases. They'll talk offensive tackle, wide receiver, maybe a couple other positions, defensive end, which could be in play. But at the end of the day, as things stand right now, Ed Oliver's your pick at nine. And we both agree on that. Christian Wilkins is another guy. If Oliver is off the board, that could be the guy. So we talk about that. We also hit on the Sabres. And I mean, <laughs> what, what fucking more is there to say about the Buffalo Sabres? That hasn't been said over the last, I don't know, month, six weeks. It's still shell-shocking to go from being on top of the NHL after two months to spending the last month talking about comparisons to tank teams and laying down on, out there for, for other teams, just playing with no heart, no soul. Bill Housley needing to be fired. I mean, I even saw an article from Mike Harrington in the Buffalo News who's been saying all year, there's no way Phil Housley gets fired. Well, not true anymore. Even Mike understands that it's something that might have to happen. So we talk about that and just the continued free fall of an organization. That, by the way, Jeff Skinner returning felt like a lock a couple months ago. Anything but a lock now. If I'm Jeff Skinner, if you're Jeff Skinner, are you looking to get out of Buffalo? I am. If the money's if the money's close, what would you do? He wanted to come here. Wade does no trade from Carolina to come to Buffalo. Has 37 goals this year. Great individual season, but does he want to stick around for this bullshit that's going on right now? I don't know. So we talk about that and Tone finishes with his puck drop. Another excellent take on the Sabres. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. Not going to waste any time today. I got two packed interviews, so no beating around the bush. Let's just get right into today's podcast. Here's my chat with former Buffalo Bills guard Craig Urbic, followed immediately by some Pat with Pucks. All right, my guest today played nine seasons in the NFL, including six with the Buffalo Bills. He was originally a third-round pick out of Wisconsin in 2009, Played 100 games in the league, including 63 starts. Talking about Craig Urbic. What's going on, Craig? How you doing? Good. How you doing? Thanks for having me. All the pleasure is all mine. I thought you out. I always thought you were one of the more low-key, solid Buffalo Bills linemen of the past 10 to 15 years. You know, wasn't a huge name when you came to Buffalo, but you were productive on a team. And we'll talk about this later on. You know, as a team overall that had its struggles, but you were definitely a low-key bright spot for this organization for a long time. And I think a lot of fans appreciated that. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, if you're, if you go unnoticed as an O-lineman, that's kind of a good thing. So I kind of, uh, that's kind of what my goal was. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to the beginning. That's kind of like when I have a guest on, especially an athlete, I kind of like to go back to the beginning and talk about how you got to where you got to. So you're from Chicago originally, and I know you moved yeah. when you were young. Who are a few of your favorite teams and players? And where did you move to when you were a kid after Chicago? So after Chicago, I moved to uh, Wisconsin, just outside of uh, Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul area. And uh, teams growing up, I was a huge Cubs fan, um, even though I was from the south side. Uh, huge Cubs fan, Bears fan, Bulls fan. You know, we're 
in Chicago during the heyday of the Bulls. You know, they're winning all the championships. So yeah, grew up a huge fan there. And then going to Wisconsin is kind of their rival, you know, Minnesota and Chicago. So um, took a little while to get acclimated to, to be a Packers fan. But baseball my whole life, been Cubs fan. And, you know, football, obviously Packers in Chicago and uh, the Bears. When did you first start playing organized football? How old were you? Do you remember? I was, uh, it was my last year of middle school. So I was 13, 14 years old. So yeah, I, my whole life, my parents were, uh, I was the biggest kid around and uh, parents were afraid I was going to get hurt. So finally my uh, friends convinced my parents and instantly, uh, <laughs> instantly glad that, that I uh, convinced my parents to, to, <laughs> to have me out. Now, what position did you play when you first started playing? Were you always a lineman? Not many kids when they're 12, 13, 14 years old, grow up of dreaming, you know, to be an offensive lineman in the NFL. Everyone wants to be the star quarterback or running back or wide receiver. But obviously, offensive line is a very important part of football. Was that always what you wanted to do? Did you always play on the line or did you move around when yeah. you were a young kid? Yeah, I was, I was one of the bigger kids. So I always played uh, D end and uh, tackle. So that was kind of a fun trade-off, being able to pl- uh, play DN and get for the quarterback. But yeah, always de- always love playing tackle and O-line, and that was kind of one of my favorite things. I love playing DN too, but quickly grew out of that. I'm not super athletic at the end. <laughs> you went to Hudson High School in Croy County, Wisconsin. What was your experience like playing high school football in Wisconsin? It was good. You know, we were in a pretty decent conference. Um, big schools, a lot of kids went out, and um, we, had, we had some good teams. Um, my senior year, uh, was the first time we went to playoffs in like 30 years or something like that. So we had some struggles at, at, in uh, high school, but you know, once when we, uh, got that program rolling they started doing really well. So, um, and they've, they've been doing well for the past, you know, decade I've been gone. So, uh, it was a fun time. A lot of, a lot of friends playing it. That's kind of what my main draw to football was how many of my friends were playing it. So that's kind of one of those things. It was just so much fun. Well, you must have been playing it well because you end up going to a very big school for college. You go to Wisconsin. Were there other schools that you considered going to, or was it Wisconsin all the way for you? Yeah, early on in my junior year, uh, there was teams like Northwestern, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Those were kind of like the, the main teams. And it was kind of, uh, you know, I was in awe just, you know, getting all those the interest from those big teams. And it was just kind of a huge deal. And I was just, I didn't know what to think of it. You know, I never thought I would ever go you know, play division one football and all of a sudden all these teams. And after I learned of the tradition of the offensive line at Wisconsin, and I made an early commitment my junior year, March, my junior year. And ever, you know, teams were asking to still recruit me. And I said, I was a hard commit. So teams just dropped off after that. Now, like I said, going to a big 10 school is a big deal. What was that experience like playing at a big 10 college? And by the way, three times first or second team, all Big Ten selection, ESPN.com, All-American your senior year. So plenty of accolades for your play as well. Yeah, we had we – had it was a great program. Wisconsin's a great school, great city. Um, Madison, Wisconsin, it's a great city. It's a great sports town. You know, they love the Badgers. Tailgating's awesome. Um, school was fun. You know, obviously um, – the after games and the games and stuff like that. It was great. And even when I got there, I had no thought of ever playing pro. You know, it's one of those things I went there. I'm going to get a good education. Maybe I'll play. And then all of a sudden my retro freshman year started every game from then on, you know, I didn't get hurt. I didn't miss a game until the end of my senior year when I got hurt. 
so it's kind of one of those things that just, you know, things just happen and, you know, I got in and got thrown in the fire and started playing well my sophomore, junior, senior year. And, you know, that's kind of where it kind of just took off. What was the process like for you from the time that you finished your college career until the NFL draft? You know, there's lots of football fans out there. They always wonder about that stuff. What it's like to go from college to the NFL. I mean, not just playing on Sundays in the NFL, but that process from the time you're done with school until the draft. What are some of the things you do during that time getting ready for the draft? What was that process like for you? Yeah, it's a long, it's a long process. It's a long year. You know, people, you don't really realize it, but when you, you're between your senior year of college, you know, you're at camp at the end of July, early August, and then you get done with your bowl game, you know, end of December, early January. And from then on, you're training every day as hard as you possibly can, because you have, you know, two big tests coming up. You have the um, senior bowl in Mobile, Alabama, which I was fortunate enough to get involved with or invited to and then um, the combine, and then your pro day. So you have three things that you have to train for and be the best shape you can be. That was all these interviews, all these tests you have to do, and it's kind of one of those things where it's a nonstop process, and you pretty much get like a month off in April when you get tra- and then you get drafted, hopefully get drafted um, in the end of April. And from then on, it's OTAs, summer conditioning, uh, camp for your first year, your rookie year, and then the whole year. It's a long year. And um, it's it's a grind, but some guys you can tell the rookies definitely you know about ten games in in their rookie year they hit that wall. I I definitely hit that wall for sure. And a lot of our rookies did, and it's a long year. How did you perform in a senior bowl? Do you feel like it helped your stock? Did it hurt your stock? How did you do there? I think it helped. You know, um, I had a good week of practice. You know, I had a couple of things here or there, but um, kind of my like I got feedback from some of the from the scouts and stuff and they said that i'm a better player in a game than practice you know practice i'll be trying to work on things all practice and i won't be 100 percent. but then when it comes to games i very very rarely made a mistake or got beat and stuff like that so um i think it helped i had a really good senior bowl like i was in most of the game and played really well so i think that helped out but i kind of was one of those guys was almost you know I wasn't going to really hurt or help my stock. You know, I was kind of slot, not slotted, but I was the guy they knew that I they thought I was, you know what I mean? Was the process of the combine a little bit overwhelming? Maybe not so much the drills because I'm sure you trained really hard and you were prepared and ready to do the physical stuff, but just the whole entire process of the combine. Can that be overwhelming for a college prospect? Yeah, it's a pretty tough week. It's a long week. Um, you know, you got a lot of interviews. Um, you're up every day at like five in the morning. Um, it, it's definitely a tougher process, but it wasn't too bad. I didn't find it overwhelming at all. Um, the tests, you know, I wasn't going to run a you know sub five forty. You know, I, I tested tested pretty good, but it's one of those things. It's uh, you know, a lot of the skill position guys, it'll you know, it'll help or hurt their stock a lot. You know, but O linemen, you know, if you run a there were guys in the first round that were running, you know, five, 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 sixes. It doesn't really matter. You know, if you can play, you can play in a line. Sure. Now you were drafted in the third round by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2009. What was that moment like for you getting drafted? Were you home? Were you at a party? That exact moment when you got drafted and you heard it's going to be Pittsburgh, what was your reaction? Yeah. So that was back in the day when there was the first and second round, the first night, and then the next day, it was rounds three through seven. Mm-hmm. So the third round started at like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. I think it was 9 a.m. And um, I had just gotten up, had breakfast, went downstairs. No one was even with me. And all of a sudden, I got a 
you know, 412 area code number, and it was the Steelers. And I was just like, holy crap. So finally, uh, just talking to uh, uh, Kevin Colbert and uh, Mike Tomlin, and it was pretty, uh, it was pretty crazy. Never, I don't think I ever interviewed with them. I might have had like a two minute conversation with them at the combine, but didn't show any interest in at the combine. But that's kind of one of those things where teams kind of keep things under wraps, you know, make sure they're not interested or show they're interested in the prospect just so no one else picks them. Right. I was going to ask you that if you had spent time before the draft with the Steelers. What about the Bills? Had you talking to the Buffalo Bills before the draft at all? Yeah, that was one of my uh, interviews. I, I interviewed with Buddy Nix. Um, that was one of those things. Uh, it, was a pre, it was a longer interview, so I thought definitely thought that they were um, high on me, um, you know, pre-draft. Well, they must have been. Things didn't work out well in Pittsburgh. You're only there for one year. Didn't get yep. to play much. Ultimately, in the organization changed directions after just one year. But that was Buffalo's game because you were waiting in September of 2010. Two days later, you're claimed by Buffalo, which you said you talked to them before the draft. What were your first thoughts when learning that you were going to Buffalo? And also, at the time anyway, how hard is it to get over you know, being waived after just one NFL season, did, did that kind of mentally deter you at all? Were you able to quickly bounce back? What was that experience like? Obviously, it wasn't your best one, but again, you did end up in Buffalo and you went on to have a very productive career there. Yeah, definitely. It was one of those things where I didn't have the rookie season that, you know, I wanted, obviously, and I definitely played well my, my second year, my second spring and uh, my second camp. Got a new coach or online coach, Sean Kugler was awesome. He really taught me a lot of things and definitely started playing, playing well. But then it was kind of one of those things I think they already decided to move on. So I knew, you know, that camp I was interviewing for 31 other teams and, you know, fortunate enough that the Bills and five other teams uh, put a waiver on me. And, you know, I was excited. I didn't know too much about Buffalo. I've never been to the city or, ever. And it's kind of one of those things where if a team claims you, they want you. So it's one of those things that's like, you know, they're excited to have you. So you're excited to go, you know, prove that they made the right choice of, of uh, claiming you. So I was excited. I was excited to get working. Now you were back up for Buffalo your first season, but you became a starter in 2011, would start full time for the next three plus years. Definitely a case of you taking advantage of an opportunity. Like I said, at the top, you played for six seasons in Buffalo. How do you remember your experience there overall? Again, as a team, I know you didn't win as many games as you wanted to, but just your overall experience of being in Buffalo, what was that like for you? Yeah, like you said, definitely as a team, we didn't accomplish what we wanted to. We had some some chances there. You know, there were some six and ten teams that could have been, you know, nine and ten, nine and seven. But um, you know, as a team, obviously the goals weren't there. But as an O line, you know, with Eric, Demetrius Bell, Eric Pierce, Andy Levitri, Chris Harrison, you know, we had some good lines there. There were, you know. I think out of three years start three three plus years starting two of them two or three of them led to uh, AFC and rushing yards per or rushing yards per attempt right. rushing yards per yep. game yep. one of the years we led the league in sacks allowed so as a unit you know we were kind of a lot of I remember the one year I think four out of the five starters were all making league minimum I think Eric was the only the lone guy making anything more than that and, you know we were a productive unit for <laughs> pretty much the cheapest O line in the in the league <laughs> and. Uh, it was, uh, you know, as a unit, I thought we played well, but obviously it doesn't really matter when the team isn't having success. Sure. What are one or two of your favorite memories about your time in Buffalo, whether it's something with the team, something with yourself, or maybe something with the city? I think two that really stick out. I think the one 
was um they're probably later on i had some good memories early on it was, it was pretty exciting starting early on but i think the uh the snow game we went had to go to detroit monday night that was a pretty big oh i remember that deal. yeah that was, a, that was a huge deal and you know it was one of those things we heard in the in the news oh we're gonna get you know 12 inches and you know you hear news you know weathermen always say that and you get two or three inches yeah and when i woke up the next day and there was two and a half feet of snow on the ground I'm like, Geez, this is a, <laughs> yeah this is a big deal so um you know literally being off the entire week flying out friday practicing having a full pad of practice saturday a walk through sunday and then going out and kicking the crap out of the jets which they were talking crap the entire week that was definitely that was definitely a, a big memory for me and then think playing green bay at home growing up that was the first time i had played against green bay and i was going against mike daniels and i had, I had a pretty good game and we we am winning that game and funny thing is my brother is uh one of the only nfl games he's able to fly out to because he's got a pretty busy job but my brother i'm a hundred percent whenever he attends a game it was like eight games in my college and nfl career whenever he comes we win and two of two of them ended up being like we were huge underdogs and we won. Oh, so wow. he's kind of, it's kind of a lucky charm, but that was a pretty good game too. I had a lot of fun in that. I, I'll tell you what, I remember that Detroit treated Buffalo really well when you guys went into town. That oh night. yeah. And all, For I mean, sure. it obviously it wasn't a home game, but in some ways it kind of felt like a home game. Yeah. You kicked the jets ass. That was a, that was an awesome night. I remember that real well. Yeah. You know, you it was a fun time. So you played one season in Miami in 2016 after Buffalo, uh, yep. You suffer a knee injury 2017, kind of pretty much spells the end. You officially retired last year after nine seasons. Do you ever mm-hmm. pitch yourself sometimes? You know, you're growing up, you're playing football as a little 12, 13-year-old kid. Well, not little. You're one of the bigger kids on the team, but still as a young kid. And you realize what you've done with your life, that you were able to do something that millions of kids just dream about. You ever have to pinch yourself sometimes and be like, I mean, not only did you play, but you played in the NFL for nine years too. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things that's weird because it was never really a dream growing up. I enjoy playing so much. It was such a fun time for me. It was one of those things where it was like every level I attained, it was kind of one of those things where me just having fun was almost kind of what made me successful. You know what I mean? Sure. It wasn't, you know, it was, I didn't set goals or anything like that, but definitely, you know, pinch myself all the time because it's just, like you said, it's just to be able to play that long you know, to be able to retire at 32, 33 years old, it was definitely, um, I pinch myself every day. I'm so thankful of the friends that I met, you know, the teammates, everything I learned and all the experience that I had, you know, going to London, it was, it was a great time. I really, really appreciate my whole time in the NFL. Do you still keep up with the bills at all today? Oh yeah, for sure. I went up for game. Um, funny. It's actually a funny thing. Uh, last year, I went to Tampa to visit uh, Garrison. Me and Eric went to Tampa to visit Garrison, uh, Sanborn, and mm-hmm. uh, Fitz. And that was my first NFL game I've ever attended in my life. I was 33 years old. And then two weeks later, I was up in Buffalo with uh, Eric Wood and uh, Will Wolford. We were at the, uh, um, I think the Jets game or the Jags game. I think it was a Jags game. Came up for a game. So it was, it was a fun time. Um, really had a good time going back there and it's funny that i never heard of it but pinto ron and uh, a couple other things in the tailgating sections i had never heard about that 
we were walking around like, what is, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> kind of experiencing that for the first time. Like, wow, I, I always knew that the Bills fans were some of the best fans in the NFL. I mean, it's a cliche to say, but they really are. Like, they travel well. They're always there, you know, rain or, rain or, rain or cold. And it was a fun time just being able to experience that. Yeah, I've had Eric on this podcast, and he kind of alluded to the same thing. It's a different feeling. You're a player all those years going right to the stadium, obviously, and getting ready to play. But when you, when you retire and you get an opportunity to go check out a tailgate or something like that in Buffalo, it really truly is like no other. That's it was. Sure. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick was a teammate of yours for a couple of years. I'm sure you had a good relationship with him. Stevie Johnson yep. made a little bit of waves this week. He said straight up on Twitter, I mean, he's a Buffalo Bills guy. Bills fans love him. But he said mm-hmm. straight up when because Ryan Fitzpatrick signed with the Dolphins now. And he says, I am going to root for Ryan Fitzpatrick against Buffalo twice a year. I don't know. If, are you willing to take it that far as Stevie did? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> I know I'm, he spent some time Pittsburgh in Miami, fan. too. Where do you live now? I live in Pittsburgh right now. Okay. Are you a Steelers fan now? Or yeah, you just um, live there? I just live there. My wife is from here, so I just live here. <laughs> but uh, And you're playing I'm dad? A, and you're playing dad? I'm playing dad. I got two kids, one of which is he's in a big boy bed now, so he's refusing to go to bed. So... Uh, <laughs> But um, I'm a big Bills fan for sure, big um, Packers fan, Chicago Bears fan, um, but definitely Bills. I, I, you know, spending six years there, it's a huge experience for me, and I'm always going to be a Bills fan. All right, so I'm going to end with a mini lighting round. I do this with all my guests, kind of rapid-fire style, no deep thought required. I'm just going to ask you a handful of questions. Whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that'll be your answer. Cool? Yep. All right, let's go. Toughest football player that you can remember playing against? Uh JJ Watt. Okay. Gun to your head, because I know this is hard. I'm sure you've had a lot of good ones, but gun to your head. You can only pick one. Your favorite teammate. I know that's a hard question. Eric Wood. Eric Wood. Okay. Favorite non-sports related activity to do. What do you like doing? Um, Playing with my kids. Okay. You spent nine years in the NFL. You played major college football. You've traveled a lot been to a lot of cities. What do you consider your favorite city to visit? I had a really fun time in London. That was a really fun time. Went there for a week. Okay. Favorite sports movie? Any given Sunday. You got a favorite TV show? Yes. uh, Peaky Blinders. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. If you had never played football in any capacity, if you went to Wisconsin and that was as far as football could have taken you, what do you think you may have went on to do with your life? Hmm. I don't know. That's tough. I'd say something like uh, marketing or like construction, something like that. Okay. I like work with my hands. Second last question here. I know you're not too big of a Twitter guy. You only follow like 165 people. So this is going to be probably hard for you. If you could only follow one person, if Twitter sent a, a note to you and said, Craig, you're only allowed to follow one person now on Twitter. That's it. One person or one handle. And that's all you could follow. What would be that one must follow on Twitter that you have? One person. Or handle. Yeah. I would probably say ESPN. Okay. Last question here. You could have. Three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, football player, celebrity, whatever. doesn't matter. Anyone you want. Three dinner guests at your table, food, couple beers, whatever. Three people. Who you got? 
Besides my wife? <laughs> yeah, besides your wife. We won't even count her. Um, yeah, so I think one would be Anthony Bourdain. I think he'd be a hell of a, of a dinner guest. He's got a lot of stories. Um, hmm. Anthony Bourdain, Michael Jordan. Okay. And Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell. All right, man. Yeah. Good stuff. Everyone follow Craig on Twitter at Craig Urbic. Thanks, man. This was fun. Like I said, you're one of the more low-key, solid Buffalo Bills linemen over the last decade or so. Really glad to have you on, get to know you. Got fans out there that probably, I'm sure, would love to hear from you, so I'm sure they're happy and get to know you a little better as well. Thanks for doing this. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Pat with us. To the victor belongs to sports. Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I shove your quotations book up your fat fucking ass? The customer is usually a moron and an asshole. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but then... All right, I got Tone Pucks in the house. We're going to talk a little UB, little Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Sabres. We'll do that in a few. Quickly, though, man, I haven't been talking to you much in the real world lately you've been busy going out on like date nights and checking out the theater and shit like that man <laughs> yeah. what's going on dude what's up oh I, I, yeah like one date night in like the last three months but it, it was just uh a, a short time ago so i see where it's pressed in your head nah man you know I'm, I'm i'm back in the daddy game you know i'm just just chasing around after these crazy kids it's nuts were you sneaking scores on your phone during date night I got to be honest, I wasn't, and it was killing me too. Oh. Because when I when I walked into the theater, all right, now this is this is a, like a place that's like right next door to Shades. It's called Seven Ten Main Street. It's a much more intimate setting, and you can't really get away with a phone check. Um, <laughs> and and UB was down seven pretty early in the second half, uh, and but I just I you know I knew I wasn't going to be able to pull it off. Uh, so I, I was fully expecting uh, when it was over to jump on and, and, um, you know, see that, uh, that they hadn't, uh, you know, won the Mac, uh, even though this was the semifinal game, but you know, they, they won by four or whatever, man. So that was, uh, that was a clutch semifinal win. And, uh, uh, we know what, uh, how that turned out today as well. So good stuff. Yeah. You know, before we get going, we'll talk bills and sabers like usual, but I, I got to show some love right away at the top here for UB and the men and women's basketball teams. One of my biggest beasts with the Western New York sports media, and I talk about it all the time, is I think that there's a big lack of college coverage. But, you know, people like me are no better because I have this podcast, I, I do it twice a week, and I barely ever even talk about UB men's or women's basketball or, or college sports for that matter locally. So that's on me. Haven't said that, though. Anyway, it's Sunday night. The women, we don't know who they're going to be playing or where because that drawing is on Monday night, but it doesn't really matter. Just glad that they're in. I think this is the third time in four years that they're in. And on the men's side, of course, they dominated all year. Top 20, I think they were like 18 or 19 weeks they spent in the top 25. They finished 31-3. and three. They win the MAC for four time in five years. A 16 in the West. They're playing either Arizona or St. John's on Friday. Those teams have a play-in game before that. By the way, let me ask you this. Do you think it's any type of coincidence whatsoever 
that potentially UB could end up opening up against Arizona State and, of course, Bobby Hurley, who used to coach the Bulls? I don't think so. I, I mean, you know, it is possible. It's, it's not like Arizona State was a, you know, was a gimme or something like that, and 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 Buffalo was a was a four, and they made it come together. You know, so out of the box that it's so it's very easy to point your finger at it. A lot of people are going to point their finger at the at the committee for being full of shit, anyways. When it comes to they don't look ahead to potential matchups that they're creating, but. Yeah, Arizona State was a true fringe team, and Buffalo was a true, you know, five or six. So the fact that it came together, they could uh, they could try to sell you on it being a coincidence. They 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 could get away with that if they want to. Some things just work out kind of cool, you know. It doesn't all have to be uh, scripted necessarily. I don't. So need- I'm probably in the minority there. Everybody else is like, uh, sure, it's random, you know. But it's it's possible, you know. These both seeds fell about where they were expected to fall, and you know, coaches do move on from MAC programs to coach Pac-10 programs, and you know, it, it, it's it's possible that it just worked out that way. So let's just enjoy it, regardless if it happens. Yeah, Harry, I'm really ready to just sit back and enjoy it. Very proud of both the men and the women's teams. Can't wait to watch them play. And the funny thing about Friday is, again, the UB, the, on the men's side, they're a six seed. They're actually expected to win. That's weird. Usually you're just happy to have these teams get in the tournament. But in this case, with the men, especially, they're expected to win. And if they get past either Arizona State or St. John's, then they probably got a date in round two with Texas Tech, the three seed, assuming they beat Northern Kentucky in the first round. That could be a winnable game as well. But yeah, regardless, I'm just ready to sit back and enjoy it. Much love to UB men and women's basketball. Really, really proud of them. Let's turn our attention now to the Buffalo Bills for a few minutes. Free agency. I mean, holy shit, dude. They've signed 10 people already. 10. Not going to go through each guy and get your take on each. I already did that last week with Joe Marino, who was on from the Draft Network. That was a lot of fun. But I do, while I have you on, want to ask you, as a whole right now, what are your thoughts on this class? Are you happy with what they're doing? What makes you happiest about what they've done in free agency? What might make you the most weary right now? Again, as a whole. Look, there isn't really a spot that um, that they didn't address that I felt they they needed to. I mean, they went balls to the wall on the offensive line. You know, they went uh, with an over-the-top guy and an underneath guy. Uh, at wide receiver and you know they got the the competition for you know Levi Wallace with a guy that could also slip inside um you know to to push to, to push Taron Johnson a little bit I'm not I forgot all about Tyler Carroll. Yeah, for the moment anyway um, he's probably number one tight end at least for the moment I mean to me man I mean they checked all the boxes they checked all the boxes and and I guess you know there there are people out there. There's there are uh, there's a buzz out there that you know that pass rusher uh, was also uh, you know something that we should look for. You know they were linked to Flowers, and then we uh, we, we know that uh, that Ziggy Ansa uh, came in. So that is not a uh, a move that they made. But I don't see that position as one 
that is like a position of dire need. I see that position as one that they would like to upgrade or get more stability at because right now, you know, they've got two potential contracts being up in Hughes and Lawson, although they could hang on to Lawson's if they wanted to. And they've got an injury prone guy in Murphy. I mean, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't already know. So, you know, that's that's the only position that they there was some buzz around that they didn't ultimately uh, address yet. And I do say yet, man, because I think they've got something up their sleeve at pass rusher. I, I really think they've got something up their sleeve at pass rusher. My something. Num- yeah, my number one thing that I really like as I start to uh, – let this free aging class sink in is I I love what they've done with the offensive line. They got more. It's one thing to have bodies on your roster. They got more able bodies on the roster this year. It feels to me like they really did their homework. Morris was kind of a no brainer. It was him or Matt Paradis at center. Everyone knew those were the top two centers. Matt Paradis was number one in a lot of eyes, including mine. I thought he would be the top guy in the market, but Morris ended up getting a much better contract than Paradis did. But outside of that, these guys like, um, Naseki and Feliciano, those are guys that I didn't really necessarily know much about or even think about when it came to the free agency class. But as you start to learn more about them, they're good fits. It's more about, you know, these guys like Feliciano played behind two pro bowlers. Naseki played behind a pro bowl left tackle in Washington. These are guys, it's not that they're not good. It's just that they really didn't get the opportunities to, to show what they could do, at least not consistently anyway. So you just have more able bodies as opposed to Jordan Mills and Bodine, who's still right now with the team, but that probably won't last. Guys like Connor McDermott, those just feel like guys on the roster, bodies, whereas these guys feel able. They could play a couple different positions. And when you look at this offensive line, Morse, I think, is the only guy that's set at center. Deion Dawkins is probably playing left tackle, but something could happen. They could move him to the right. They could even slide him at guard. Gusecki could play tackle or guard. Feliciano could play either guard position or center if need be, if Morris goes down. These are really versatile guys, and I don't think it limits them if they decide, which I don't think either of us think is going to happen, but if they decide early in the draft to go offensive line, I don't think they signed any guys that prohibit them from doing that at all. No, I I, I agree. Um, although I, I still think they're they're – going to wait until day two with the amount that they invested in the line and free agency. I still think, you know, they, they look to a day two guy uh, to compete for a job as opposed to a day one guy who slots right in. The thing that blew my mind, though, about the offensive line signings, I mean, we knew that they were going to turn over at least three-fifths of the line. And, and you know, I don't I'm not including the fact that Dawkins could be moved around or whatever. All right. So, you know, we knew that they would be looking for at least three new starters. Yeah, You know, we didn't, we didn't know what they thought necessarily about Teller or whatever. But, you know, then I looked at the, you know, the second level of guys like, like McDermott and, you know, Teller, if he weren't to start or whatever, Bodine, you know, depth that, uh, Bottiger or whatever his name was, just you know, some of the, like like guys uh, like six through nine, okay, on the uh, on the depth chart. Figure you keep about eight or nine guys on the offensive line. The thing that really gets gets me is 
not only are they look, you know, probably replacing at least 60% of the starters, they're probably turning over seven of nine of the total spots. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like Cristiano is, um, is that his name? The, the interior John, guy, John Feliciano, John Feliciano, oh, Fel- Feliciano. Yep. All right. So there's a, there's a depth guy. All right. A potential starter. I mean, I think he got like three mil. Then they signed the cat from the Patriots uh, just yesterday. Adrian Waddle. Um, yep, he'll be. A, he's a tackle. So, so there's a one year guy. So there's another tackle now to go with the Redskins guy and Dawkins right, and Spencer. One, don't forget them, Spencer Long too. They signed him a couple weeks before free agency. Yeah, so you got you got Long, Feliciano, and Morse on the inside. You know they're they're turning over not just some starters. They're turning over the whole damn thing. Absolutely. The whole damn thing. That is that is some major freaking reconstruction right how, there. How dude. many times last season did we talk about, I would go on tangents about the offensive line. If you add Spencer Long, which they just signed recently, yeah, that dude, that's five people. That's five free agents. That's not even counting the draft. They're definitely going to draft somebody somewhere. I, they got to... I would say a tackle because they got a lot of uh, after Deion Dawkins and the Seki's up there in age. I mean, he's 33. So they're probably going to draft a tackle at some place. But yeah, dude, that's five. I mean, they're only going to keep probably eight linemen, maybe nine at the most. So they've already turned over more than half that position less than a week in the free agency. They weren't fucking around. They knew how bad that oh, offensive line was. Man. <laughs> they really weren't. They did some work. What about on Frank that Gore? Line. What about Frank Gore in the backfield? That addition was a surprise, if nothing else. Oh, well, Gore was one of the first guys, right? One of the first guys yeah. we signed. Yeah, one the year, one year, two million. The thing that didn't surprise me about that is, as much as it was as easy as it was to identify certain positions of need, all right, for the Bills offensively. You know, and and I tweeted this to my to my legion of uh, of 132 followers. Last year's offensive captains, dude, was Shady and Pat Demarco. Okay, that screams of a lack of leadership, a tremendous void in leadership. One of them simply, I don't know, just doesn't really strike me as a, as a, as a great leader. I mean, I like, I like shady, the football player a little bit, you know, definitely not so much the guy, but the football player, you know, I like him and, you know, he's, he, he boosts the the new quarterback up and things like that. And those are good things, but look, you know, LaShawn McCoy doesn't scream captain to me. Okay. He just doesn't. And Patrick DeMarco, you could just get the fuck out of here with. This team had a huge leadership void on the offensive side of the ball. And I like Frank Gore uh, as someone who can help fill that void, quite frankly. I think uh, he wasn't bad last year. Dude, I looked at his numbers. I think the guy can still play, man. Well, you know, when Gore got signed, my first thought instantly was, all right, well, bye-bye Chris Irie. But that hasn't happened yet. Maybe it won't because, sure. This team needs to get a young running back, or at least that's the train of thought anyway. But Josh Allen's only in his second season. Maybe the staff has decided that let's have three veteran guys because most teams will carry three tailbacks. Let's have three veteran guys back there, and we'll worry about a young guy 
in 2020 or something like that. Maybe they just say, let's wait till next year and then we'll address that. But for this year, Frank Gore, LaShawn McCoy, Chris Ivory, three veteran guys back there, they can only help. And when it comes to that position, it's all about 2019 and we'll worry about the future in the future. I'm with you. I I, I think you might as well keep all three. And, uh, you know, I would still draft somebody. I'm I'm still grooming somebody. You know, I'm not. I'll put it to you like this. All right. I'm keeping all three to enter training camp, but I'm probably not exiting camp with all three. Yeah, that's you know, that, that's how I, that's how I'll put it. All right, I'm going to camp with all three, but you know whether it be injury or whether it be you know someone else just coming and taking the job from from Ivory or whether it be on the much bigger side of things, like you have speculated at times, you know, whether a dance partner comes around for shady after, after Gore has a little bit of time in and he's vested and the season's upon us, you know, trading shady now, right. So shortly after Gore signed on and they're excited to play with each other. All right. That, that wouldn't go over well, but you know, trading shady when there's like two weeks to go in the preseason or whatever. And Frank Gore's in, in, full, you know, getting ready for the season mode. And, you know, we've drafted a guy for Gore to groom, you know, boy, that, that falls into place real, real nice, um, as a potential, you know, uh, one, two, three. So I I wouldn't rule that out, uh, either. I I would hang on to that, uh, that conviction that you have. I still uh, have it. I still have it. That LaShawn McCoy might not uh, might not start the season here. I, I still have it. You're probably right. It doesn't make much sense. There's probably no market for him right now, and most of the teams that wanted running backs already went out and got one in free agency. I don't know. I'm not sure the Eagles did, though. But, yeah, I could see something happening over the summer or during camp. Maybe someone goes down. I'm still not convinced whatsoever that he's going to be here. But, anyway, we've talked about that enough. You know, another low-key, then we'll move on. I like Andre Roberts a lot. I like the punt returner that they got. That was such a position of weakness last year. It was a disaster at times. I think that helps them too. It may, man. I don't know. Every every year there seems to be a guy that we sign that we feel like, you know, takes care of, of, of our return woes from the previous year or whatever. And sometimes they hit and sometimes they miss, man. I mean, that's just, that's a position that, you know, is, is, one fumble and a, and, a, and a juggled fair catch away from becoming an issue again, no matter how good your previous year was. It's almost it's almost like kicker. You know what I mean? It's almost like a kicker that just, you know, can't can't regain, you know, his accuracy or whatever. The same. I believe the same thing is true of a returner. They run hot and cold or streaky as hell. And whatever they did the previous year, unless you're like just elite type, you know, type shit. Whatever they did the previous year doesn't uh, doesn't hold a ton of water with me anyway. We've spent a lot of time being homers, so to speak, when it comes to the Buffalo Bills and all the things that we've liked about this free agent class that they've added so far. I asked you earlier, is there anything about this class that you don't like or at a minimum that you're kind of wary of something they haven't added or a couple of players that maybe you don't like? Anything you're wary of right now? Not a thing. See, I mean, I'm a little they're, they're, worried. You know, about, there's, there, there's no splashes. You, you know what I mean? These guys could all be 
nobody is going to necessarily lift Josh Allen's game. All right. That's what that's what Antonio Brown could have potentially mm-hmm. done. All right. These guys are they're complementary football players, but that's what they talk about building. You know, I mean, right. I can hear McDermott right now. McDermott talks about playing complementary football uh, offensively and defensively. That's what they've put out there. But there's there's nobody walking through this door that's going to make one bit of difference if Josh Allen doesn't take a huge step in, in year two. Yeah, I agree. And if I have one beef with this free aging class so far, actually, it's not even a beef. I'd call it more of a little bit of a, a concern, is that after Mitch Morse, who I absolutely love, he's going to anchor that offensive line, huge upgrade. I think that's going to help Josh Allen immensely. But outside of that, everyone else on the offensive line that they sign, none of these guys are even remotely close to a sure thing. Naseki, Long, Feliciano, Waddle, those are four guys. And yeah, worst case, they should be better than what the Bills had last year. But that's not setting the bar very high at all. These are guys that are that seem pretty consistent and haven't really had that opportunity to become full-time, really good starters. But that doesn't mean automatically that with the opportunity, they're going to be. You know what I mean? So that is probably the one thing about the offensive line that concerns me. Not a lot of proven guys that they've signed. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's just no slam dunks to me. But I'll say this. I think they're still big game hunting. I, I do. And I just, you know, I think they're big game hunting. Um, well, obviously, they they were they were doing that with Brown, with Antonio Brown. And now I think the the attention is on is on the pass rush. I, I just you know, they were rumored to have interest in Clark. They had Ansa in here. I I think if I think if Houston gives them the slightest inclination that he can be had, I think they will do anything they can to get their hands on a guy like Jadavion Clowney. I do. I think they're big game hunting. And if I had to just throw a name out there that that just would not blow me out of the water if it happened that I think that name would be Jadavion Clowney. Well, there's no doubt that would be huge. Um, So as we start to wind down here, I want to briefly turn our attention to the draft. Not going to spend a lot of time talking about a bunch of positions and a bunch of different players, but I will say this based on what they've done in free agency. And I'm going to assume that if they don't swing a big trade that for the most part, they're done with free agency. It might, Maybe they sign a depth guy or two. So you go into the draft, and the biggest position in need, you can make a very, very strong case, would be defensive tackle. They have not replaced Kyle Williams. They haven't signed anyone to this point as we take this at defensive tackle. They've re-signed Jordan Phillips, but that's it. They could use a defensive end for sure, and they've investigated some. You mentioned Ziggy Anza was in for a visit. They'll address that. I don't know if it'll be with the ninth pick, though, but you look at that ninth pick, and to me, instantly, bam, if he's there on the board, a guy like Ed Oliver instantly sticks out. And if the Bills, if it works out that way, we can, we're, there's going to be tons of debate for good reason over the next handful of weeks. But if that guy defensive tackle there's at nine, I'm pretty sure the Bills are going to take him. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I don't know. There's another guy in the middle, too. I, I, I have not. Christian Wilkins is, a, is another defensive tackle from Clemson that 
lot of people are high on is expected to go in the top half of the first round. Those are the two main. There's not a Bama kid? There's a Bama I, kid, I, but don't think about him because it's not happening. Quentin Williams, he's, he's going to be gone in the first five picks at worst. So unless the Bills move up, I mean, that always could happen. But I'm talking about assuming that they're staying at nine. Ed Oliver, Christian Wilkins, those are the two guys at nine. If they go tackle, they go edge, there's Montez Sweat. There's a few other guys. But I'm I'm with you. Defensive end, defensive line, I should say, is a position that they haven't done much. And maybe they just didn't want to pay, you know, in free agency what what's out there. They didn't see good value, but a trade or early in the draft, something's up with the defensive line. And if it's not a trade like you think could happen, they're going to take one early in the draft at nine. They have to. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think it might be both. I, I think uh, I think there's one more veteran coming in and and a high pick coming in. And I think and I think one of the ends might be moved out. That's you know, I, I think there's there's a still a good chance. We we had the same conversation last year and you know didn't shit happen but you know I, I i could still see them moving on from shit man i could see them moving on from any one of the three ends right now penciled in atop the depth chart whether it be hughes murphy or uh or shack lawson so we know they're adding a tackle. You know they're adding a tackle. I don't you know yeah great they re-signed Jordan Phillips you know, we are weak on the interior. Okay. We're weak right now. We're, you know, we're two through four with a glaring hole at number one. Got to be addressed. Uh, that would piss me off. All right. You want to say what, what would, you know, annoy me out of what has happened or hasn't happened. Uh, it, it would be that somehow or another, we get to day two of the, uh, of the draft and we have not replaced Kyle Williams because that would be a major issue. All right. Second round offensive tackles can compete for jobs. Second round defensive tackles just go into the rotation until they, uh, you know, until they grow into their body with a little more strength the following year, like, a, like you hope a Harrison Phillips does this year. We cannot leave that, leave that hole. All right. Past day one of the draft at, at defensive tackle. Let's turn, before we get out of here, I want to spend at least a couple minutes talking about the Sabres, and it pains me to do that the last two weeks. I've mentioned the word Sabres, played a sound effect, and said that's enough. I don't want to talk about them. They did end the seven-game losing streak on Sunday, a shootout win over the Blues, but who gives a fuck, right? I mean, are you out? Are you mentally checked out? I'm way out, man. I am just, I could not be any any further out i have no interest in the result of these games i have look you know the next bit of sabers news i want to hear is that phil housley has been fired that's it i think he's awful if there is one good thing one takeaway that i could say about this season that i kind of sort of like and i know this sounds stupid but whatever i don't even care for the last handful of years this stupid fucking tank has divided this fan base so bad pro tank anti-tank it's just been ad nauseum and so annoying to have to hear about. This year, I think fans are finally united in that everyone hates the Sabres team. They hate the roster, and they especially, and you alluded to this just now, hate Phil Housley as the head coach. Everyone hates them, so they're united when it comes to that. So at least if there's one silver lining for this fucking train wreck of a disaster of a season, I would say 
That's it right there. United, everyone hates this team. Well, I guess, you know, the one thing where there is a little bit of division this year is, um, you know, some people are are ready to give Batterell as much of the blame as uh, as others give Housley. So, yeah. Know. There is some of that. I'm not one of them. I'm I'm okay with with Botterill. I I don't know why. If there's any sort of percentage of fans out there that want Botterill gone already, I think it's very very small. Not even enough that's worth discussing. I'll tell you one thing that is worth discussing though. This season has fallen out of favor and plummeted so badly, and I can't believe I'm saying this because a couple of months ago I never would have thought this would have been an issue, but they better no matter what happens, man, they better find a way to re-sign Jeff Skinner because, God forbid, if they let this guy walk, he's got 37 goals this year. He waived his no-trade clause with Carolina to come to Buffalo, so obviously he likes it here. Things were going great with Eichel, and they were winning. But with the way the season has fallen off, this guy's going to be a free agent. He's going to get a lot of interest. He's going to get paid. If you were him, wouldn't you be extremely interested in potentially getting out of Buffalo right now? Yeah. I just my my thing with that, you know, to answer your question is how much worse can it be? I mean, how you know you talk about how much uh, how ugly it would get if if Skinner isn't re-signed. They'll go out and they'll re-sign someone else, or they'll you know overpay, you know Panarin or something like that. You know they'll find Jack's winger uh, if if it happens to not be Skinner, and then they'll they'll sell us on it and. You know, they'll turn over the defense a little bit and, you know, get a, a, a number two center and, you know, they'll they'll reshuffle the deck and sell us on it because we are absolute fucking hockey morons, dude. I mean, that's just, you know, <laughs> every year. I I mean, they got to get him back. They got he's they got to even if it's overpaying, which is going to be overpaid. They got to get him back. This the roster is not good enough with him. You get rid of him. How are you replacing him? Who who in that pipeline is the next Jeff Skinner? Even close, I, even half a Jeff Skinner. He's one of no one in the he's pipeline. one of maybe three I'm good saying, players on this team. Uh, no one in the pipeline. All I'm saying is, if they were to lose out on him, my guess would be it would be because you know if they're gonna overpay somebody, they'd rather maybe overpay you know, a, a, a Panarin and Artemi Panarin or whatever, 11 million as opposed to Skinner's nine or something like that, which I think I, you know, in, in all honesty, I think is, is right. I think that's, that would be a, the right decision um, to make. I just think it would be too risky, um, you know, to make that decision or to play that sort of, uh, you know, Russian roulette with, with letting Skinner go in the hopes of signing, you know, overpaying a Panarin. If or they can't like that. keep a guy like Skinner and give him what he wants, what what makes you think that a guy like Panarin is going to want to come to Buffalo? Nobody I wants to that. come here. They they got to keep Skinner doing it from a hockey mm. standpoint, and just as importantly from a marketing PR standpoint. If they lose Skinner, oh my God, that's, it's going to be so. Uh, ugly. That's uh, that's my point, though, man. All right, how could it be any uglier than this? What? Because they didn't re-sign Jeff Skinner. It's it's it can get even uglier. Rock bottom is rock bottom. Okay, we're there. Uh, there's a, Jeff Skinner leaving Jack Eichel. You know, uh, 
getting a season long. It just doesn't. We're at rock bottom. There's no lower than this. There's just no lower. I don't care. I don't care. I'm numb. I know it's the easy way out, man. I, I just feel like Phil Housley's the problem with this team. I really do. I don't think they're they're flawed for sure, but this team is good. Was good enough to win this year. I really think it's the coach. I feel like if Phil Housley got fired 20, 25 games ago and somebody came in and gave him that spark that they needed, we'd be having a completely different conversation right now. I think it's Phil Housley. And you know what? All this talk about Jeff Skinner. If you're just going to keep Phil Housley for next year, you know what? Maybe you're right. Jeff Skinner could just leave because if Phil Housley's the coach, I don't think it's ever going to matter when it comes to this hockey team. I just don't. It just doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm just numb. I'm just numb with that team. All right, fair enough. Let's end this segment with your final take. We call it the puck drop. What do you got this week? Good. You're, we're rolling right into it, man. We're rolling right into it. And you talked about uh, the divide that there was on the tank or whatever. I was a major anti-tanker, okay? Uh, wasn't because uh, of the morality of it and always play to win and all that bullshit. You know, that, that that doesn't mean anything to me. It's just strategically, you know, the, the idea that that is, you know, this foolproof way of succeeding. I just, I don't buy into it. I think you sacrifice too much. You know, I think, you know, just two years of giving up. I'm an impatient guy. Two years of giving up um, just doesn't work for me. You know, we, we're only, we're only in this thing for so long. And on that note, despite it somewhat being refuted by, uh, by Mike Harrington, when I uh, brought it up today on, on one of his threads, I think if you were a pro tanker, you've got no fucking right whining about the Ryan O'Reilly trade. All right. Uh, I am a firm believer that the Ryan O'Reilly trade was made in large part. All right to the dynamic in the room, all right? And I think uh, while him and Jack have have, uh, have laughed it off and called it not a thing and all that shit, that's real easy to do after the fact. That's real easy to do when one of them's already out of town. But when you invest as much time, okay, uh, as, as this organization invested in getting Jack Eichel, you don't let anything get in the way of his happiness. And if, you know, that you could point to that being the reason that Dan Bilesma is gone. And I think to some extent you can point to that being the reason, maybe not that it was like this giant feud that, you know, that couldn't have been solved or they couldn't come together on it, but they just, they can't risk Jack's unhappiness because we gave up so much to get him. And that, to me, all right, it has every bit to do with what was wrong with the tank as anything else, okay? If, if, if you didn't sell your fucking soul to get Jack Eichel, you find a way to make it work with O'Reilly and him. But because we did, and because we fucking sold out and people still think it was the right thing, even though these have been the five worst imaginable years of our hockey lives. People say it worked. You got to be kidding me. And Ryan O'Reilly, to me, all right, is an example 
of why it was the dumbest thing possible. All right, folks, that is going to do it for this episode. Big thank you again, former Buffalo Bills guard Craig Urbic. Glad to see he's doing well. Really good, underrated player when he was with the Bills for six years. Again, glad to see he's doing well. That was a fun chat. Thanks, Greg. Thanks as well to my man, Tom Pucks. Pat with Pucks, always one of my favorite segments on this podcast. Anytime I get a chance to get together with him and tape something, I always enjoy doing that. So thanks as well, Tone. Coming up on the show on Friday, I have NESN sports reporter in Boston, Courtney Cox. She's going to be my guest. I am looking forward to having a conversation with her. Guys, if you have not done so already, and I don't know why you would not have already, but if you haven't, please subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. You subscribe. New episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone or to your iPad, your computer, whatever, within just minutes of the release. That is always the benefit of subscribing. Simply put, you're going to get the podcast before anyone else does. So please do that. Don't forget to rate and review. That always helps the podcast tremendously. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweet. You can also follow us on Facebook. Hit that like on the Moranalytics Podcast Facebook page. Thanks again for listening. I really, truly do appreciate it. Appreciate each and every single one of you. Talk to you again on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.